Prepare to dive into the world of marriage and family therapy. Get ready to tune into the Trey MFT podcast where we're thrilled to have you on this incredible journey with us. The Trey MFT podcast brings you a delightful blend of relatable personalities, thought-provoking discussions, and just the right touch of lighthearted humor, sprinkled with sports idioms to keep you engaged. As relational systemic therapists, we'll provide you with valuable insights and first perspectives to excel in the world of psychotherapy. This is the Trey MFT Podcast, and we're excited to have you on board. Today's episode is inspired by a recent workshop that Trey attended, um, led by Dr. Kenneth Hardy, and it was put on by the Iona University MFT Department. In this workshop, Dr. Hardy explored with us the relevance of race as a discussion in the therapy room and how whiteness shows up not only in our personal lives, but in the therapy room. We're happy to dissect race with you in this episode and also intersectionality. Let's get into it. Thank you, Ian, for bringing that up. It actually brings me to what I want to discuss today, um, which is how discomfort shows up in sessions surrounding racial discussions and some ways that we can reduce that discomfort in therapy. Yeah, I know that some some therapists and even some clients, they're reluctant to even bring it up or talk about it. And then oftentimes um, clients, they seek out to find therapists that they feel can identify with them. Jen, when you say race in the therapy room, exactly what are you speaking of? Are you speaking of a white therapist you know, possibly being um, providing therapy to a client of color? Are we talking about a black therapist possibly providing therapy to a client who is white? How are we looking at that dynamic? Yes, right. We always think about white on black, but I'm also referring to black on black, brown on brown, right? Not only white, white therapist, black client, or black therapist, white client? Um, I think that's a good question because when we think about race or we talk about racial discussions, that's one thing that people think about. That's where their mind goes to, right? Like a white therapist and a black, black, or a black white, client, yeah. right? So um, I think I'm talking about, well, I'm sorry. And I don't think I'm talking about, I know, um, just all races, you know, so. I, I mean, I imagine that, that the topic of race is uncomfortable in any setting with any dynamic of, of client in terms of race, whether it be a white therapist and a, and a person of color as a, as a client or a person of color as a therapist and, and a white client. I imagine, or, or two, two black um, therapists and a client, you know, um, I imagine that it would be uncomfortable in any situation. I know for me, you know, race is something that, that is uncomfortable all the time to talk about, right? And we don't want to assume that every person that comes into the therapy room is dealing with some issue involved race, right? So dissect that for us. How does that how does that look in terms of how the discussion happens? Well, that's also a good question, right? Because I think the discussion happens different every time, right? There's never just one way of having a certain discussion, right? But I think some of the ways in which, if we are talking about reducing discomfort, is that what we're talking about? Or do you think... Yeah, I would imagine, I would imagine, you know, how do we get therapists to 
really hone in on on the discussion of race when it's relevant, right? I think that's that's what we're talking about because it is uncomfortable for anybody, you know. Um, but how do we get therapists to really hone in on that discussion and and have that uncomfortable discussion with with their clients? And yeah, you mentioned something when it's relevant. So I'm, I'm curious as to our thoughts and the thoughts um, of the listeners out there. Is race ever irrelevant when you know coming to therapy? You think at some point race will come up, or race can be one of those core um, factors when we think about systemic therapy. Um, I think I think it can be irrelevant um, if if I as a and I, I'm a person of color. I'm a black man. You know, I have a white client. I would say that 99% of the time, my white client is coming to me dealing with a problem that has nothing to do with race, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, let's be real. Um, race is not a problem for white people, right? I've never, maybe, maybe, maybe in a situation where, where a white person is dealing with something that they believe to be reverse discrimination um, or they believe somehow they're being um, you know, you know, discriminated against by by an employer or something like that. That could possibly be um, a problem that they could bring into the work. A white client could bring into the therapy room that would involve race. But normally, a white client race is not a problem for a white client. Mm-hmm. It's not race is not affecting them, right? Mm-hmm. So, in that situation, assuming that that any problem that they have has a race component to it, I think that would be wrong. Right? Okay. Okay. I'm just curious. And another another way where race could come up with uh, a white client. So maybe thinking about interracial couples. Um, I think in our experience, um, at least in mine. Great, great. That's that's a great that's a great way. Yes. Yes. Excellent. Mm-hmm. They the conversation oftentimes doesn't even happen. Mm-hmm. And so right. When I bring that up in therapy, it is that feeling of discomfort in that room because the couples, and this is this is not for you know all interracial couples, but just the experience that I've had, it's almost like a taboo topic. It's there, but they never discussed it. They never discuss how um, race plays a role in their relationship. And so when, you know, not even just thinking about race, but other cultural factors as well, uh, that's when it comes up and they're able to talk about it. But there's always some hesitance that I've experienced with interracial couples. Um, So that might be an example. But I I hear what you're saying. You know, when you are in a place of privilege, you don't think about the privilege that you're walking around with as a, you know, your typical white middle-class heterosexual male you know you're not thinking about that privilege that you have that you're walking around with yeah i actually um seen that dynamic right i won't say where i seen it at just to protect the privacy of you know um the clients but i was able to see that dynamic and just seeing one of the partners talk about race right and the other partner just really kind of not understanding where the other partner was coming from, mm-hmm. you know, and just mm-hmm. being so blind to the fact of, you know, her, her experience, you know, and not 
And when I seen that, I was just, I'm just like, wow, you know, this really does happen on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. you know, so. I think in Kellyanne's example of the interracial couple, um, that is that is an actual example where it would be relevant to to discuss race and how race may be affecting that relationship, how race may be showing up as a problem in that relationship. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's one of the areas that, that um, we want to make sure that we address race directly as a therapist when, when we have interracial couples, right? Because we know that race will play a part in how that relationship is functioning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And also when clients come in already with that base, right? Of, and this is the problem, right? My husband or wife like doesn't see my end and they just come up to talk about that race factor, right? That becomes an, an easier tool because they're they're coming with that already, you know, so. Mm-hmm. So why do we think that race is so challenging to discuss, especially in the therapy room? Yeah, I think, well, I don't think, I, I believe, right, that, um, society has made it that way mm-hmm. right and society has made it so uncomfortable that it that it's almost like a negative thing to talk about mm-hmm. and once we're in that negative space you know it makes us you know like the the levels of anxiety start start like building up the levels of of uncomfortability start to build up and we as therapists when we bring those conversations into the room it's like we don't even want to right because we don't even know how the other person is going to receive it Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. I think society really does play a part. There, there may be other factors, of course, but I think society has framed it in a way where we shouldn't talk about it, or it's not important to talk about it, or mm-hmm. it's not and relevant to talk about it. Mm-hmm. You know, it pretty much boils down to systemic racism, right? Yeah, I just... think when, yeah, I think when when just the topic of race, it automatically puts someone on the subjugated part, you know, um, or the privileged, mm-hmm. you know, aspect. So whomever you're discussing with, you know, it, it becomes uncomfortable if you are the privileged party, um, and it's also uncomfortable if you are the subjugated party, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's something that no matter how you twist or turn it, the person sitting um, before you in the therapy room will feel some sense of uncomfortability when race comes up, right? The, the question is, how comfortable are you as a therapist, you know, guiding them through that discussion, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's the question. And if we're uncomfortable and we haven't fully um, been able to dissect race and, and feel comfortable discussing it, then how are we going to lead that, that as a therapist, lead that um, client through that discussion, right? Mm-hmm. I think that, that becomes the question. Yeah, I think that's why it's important to really look at ourselves and our biases first in order to, um, you know, help our clients. Because if we don't look at that, then there's no way, right, mm-hmm. that we can have these discussions with um, our clients. Absolutely. And I think this is a good transition to talk about intersectionality and social location. And Eon, you mentioned a couple of times about privilege and subjugation. So let's talk to our listeners about what that is and what that looks like in a therapy room. During that workshop that we mentioned, I asked Dr. Hardy, how do therapists 
become work on becoming comfortable with bringing up race in the therapy room. And he mentioned social location. And so I immediately thought of the article by Dr. Watts Jones titled Location of Self, Opening the Door to Dialogue on Intersectionality in a Therapy Process. And it's so powerful because it talks about intersection, social location, and our multiple identities. And Jen, you mentioned we as therapists have to look at ourselves. So what self are we bringing into the therapy room? So, and then Dr. Watts Jones also mentioned, and this is a quote from some of her work, in order to really understand a person, we need to be able to take account to the multiple identities. So how do we do that? Kellyanne, you mentioned social location, location of self. Mm -hmm. There may be some people out there who've never heard of that before. Mm -hmm. So can you fully explain what that is and maybe do some modeling as to what social location is and location of self? Absolutely, absolutely. So Dr. Watts Jones has this model, location of self. And what it does is it allows the therapist the opportunity to initiate conversation about social location. So your race, your ethnicity, your class, gender, sexual or orientation, and your religion. And the whole point of it is for it to open up conversation and dialogue about how it can potentially influence the therapy process, or perhaps how maybe sometimes it might limit some of the scope and lens as therapists that we might have um, as clients come in. And so when we think about, Jen, like how you said, looking at ourselves, we have to be comfortable locating ourselves. Because when we then open up that dialogue in that therapy room, we are working on creating that safe space. And so that safe space allows us to talk about that race. It allows us to talk about any other conversation or topic and building that therapeutic alliance as one of those common factors. So yeah, we can go ahead and um, we could go ahead and, and model this for, for our listeners out there. Okay. Right. Tell you start. You know, all right, I'll it start it off. <laughs> Give you the assist, you start. Oh. With the assist, all right, let me let me finish this for you. Let me let me score on this one. All right, so when I locate myself, it will go something like this. I am a Afro-Caribbean cisgender woman. I am middle class. I come from a Christian background. And I am a bisexual woman. All right. All right. This oh, is a good. round table. Let's let's mix it up. Right. Mm -hmm. Let me. I'm about to put the pressure on because I see Jen is looking like you know how you have a student and you, you don't want to get called on. She's looking like don't look at me. Caught the eye contact. So I'm gonna put some just a little half court pressure on Jen. Go ahead, Jen. Yeah. Thank you for that pressure. You know, it's um. I guess I was looking like that because it's interesting that you say that. You know, it's necessary sometimes to self locate but we don't often do that, mm -hmm. right? And personally, I haven't done that. But if I were to do that, right, um, the way I would self-locate is by saying, I'm a Hispanic, cisgender, heterosexual woman. I was born and raised in the Bronx, New York, and I come from a Catholic background. Mm. Okay. All right, all right, I guess it's me, right? 
Um, I, I usually start off by saying I'm a human being, right? Black Caribbean man, father, husband, son, friend. Um, I'm a servant. I'm a heterosexual cisgender male, teacher, and therapist. Right? That's how I self-locate. All right. And so... And so um, I just had a quick question, sorry. Mm-hmm. When you say servant, right, like what are you referring to? Well, I, I believe that everything that I've done in my life, um, everything that I do, I'm serving a higher purpose. I'm serving someone. So maybe I should throw religion in there, right? But I don't necessarily need to or like to subscribe to any religion, um, even though if I would, if I have to say it, I'd say Christ, Christian religion. But I'm a follower of the, of the teachings of Jesus Christ. Um, so when I say servant, everything I do, I believe I'm serving a higher purpose, right? Um, when I'm, when I'm being a husband, I'm serving my wife. When I'm being a father, I'm serving my, my, um, my children. When I am, um, doing, being a therapist, I'm serving the client. When I'm being a teacher, I'm serving my students. And that's, that's a perfect example of your multiple identities, you know, and, you know, to put that in perspective, for our listeners out there. So that's also an opportunity, again, to bring up that conversation. So not just about race, but about intersectionality, locating yourself socially, and your identity and who you are and bringing that person into that therapy room. How does that shape the therapy process? Yeah. And that's the point of it. And again, I'm bringing up what Jen said by looking at ourselves. A therapist, we as therapists have to be comfortable socially locating ourselves mm-hmm. in order for that presence of comfort to be in the therapy room for our clients to then be able to do that. Yeah, I agree. Uh, something we mentioned earlier about, you know, how do we, how do we make sure that um, the discussion of race is a discussion that is comfortable in the therapy room. Um, I think being able to locate yourself, being comfortable with your race, being comfortable with who you are, that's one, one of the first steps to making sure that that conversation is a comfortable conversation, right? You have to first be comfortable with yourself. And when you're comfortable with yourself, you're comfortable having that conversation. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's, it starts from there, right? Um, so, so, Kellyanne, can we pivot to how do we social locate um, in the therapy room and what benefits is there to social locating in the therapy, therapy room? Yeah, so I actually want to use that to just your our examples and looking at our different locations in terms of privilege and subjugation. That's something we talked about earlier. And when we think about our multiple identities and which one of those identities are you are you a coming from a place of privilege and which one are you coming from a place of subjugation and that helps shape the therapy process so when i say i'm a bisexual woman that's a place of subjugation just because of um just society views on the lgbtq community you know um i'm also an afro-caribbean i'm a black woman that's another place of subjugation Anywhere where your identity might be devalued in society, oppressed, marginalized, um, and possibly overlooked, that also has an effect on how when those clients, our clients come in, 
that affects their families as well. So, you know, as family therapists, everything is, and again, we're, we're systemic. We're thinking about relationals, um, relational therapy as well. Um, and how our identity is not just about that one person, that individual, but how it shapes the different systems and how it impacts the different systems with our work. Yeah, I, I will say I'm going to challenge you a little, Kellyanne. Mm -hmm. Oh, now you hit me with the defense? I'm the yeah. defender here. Well, you know, sometimes <laughs> you got to play defense once in a while. Right. If you, if you don't want to get benched. I'm, I'm ready for it. I'm if you don't want to get benched, you got to play defense. I will say that as a therapist, in that therapy room, we always have privilege and power. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So if we're starting with privilege and power, then what what purpose is locating yourself? What is that? What is that doing for you and the client in terms of the relationship? Well, I believe for the client, it then opens up that conversation. Just like I mentioned, when I located myself, I identified ways in which um, there was subjugation. Mm -hmm. And when you identify those things, now you're talking about when have you felt marginalized? When have you felt overlooked? Mm -hmm. That opens up the conversation. And that begins to, again, strengthen that therapeutic alliance. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And also, you mentioned privilege as well. I'm, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, when I identified, um, when I did the location of self, a place of privilege is as a middle-class individual. Now, that can be privileged in some circumstances and subjugation in other circumstances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, none of us mentioned our class, right? Was that by accident? None of us mentioned our, our class. I did. You did, okay, I'm sorry. Um, but I don't know if you all did. I did not. I did not. I didn't want to interrupt, you know, I didn't want to interrupt your location of self, but, you know, again, you can, we're talking about race, ethnicity, sexual orientation, religion, class, gender. Ian, you took it a step further and talked about um, other areas. And Jen, you mentioned for your identity, mentioning that you were from the Bronx says something. So as a therapist, if you're coming in and you ask the client, okay, I just located myself. I would like to open up this opportunity for you to do so if you feel comfortable and hopefully, you know, well, they will, and sometimes they may not. Yeah. Eventually, over time, you'll get those identities. But I would ask you, what does that mean for you? You know, something told you that that was relevant for you to bring up that you were from the Bronx. Yeah, I is think... it because you like hip hop? Or I'm just kidding. <laughs> wow. What What else we got in the Bronx? <laughs> the Yankees. Well, you like baseball? I, I do. I do like baseball, actually. But I think that the first thing that came to my mind was the clientele that I work with. Right. So mm -hmm. it's almost like it's usually, you know, people from the Bronx. Right. Mm -hmm. People, um, you know, from those types of neighborhoods that I also grew up with. Mm -hmm. So I also grew up in. Sorry. I think that stating that gives them a level of comfortability in terms of mm. okay she's from there so she kind of knows she gets it. yeah she gets it you know Jenny she gets it blog. <laughs> so i think that's important sometimes to just throw that in there you know mm -hmm. where where i was born and where i where i'm coming from it also shows our multiple identities yeah you're thinking something Ian. 
Well, I'm, I'm just thinking about, you know, how I use uh, location of self with the clients I work with. I work with mainly um, young people and families, disadvantaged young people and families, right? And I think it's a powerful tool. I, I can honestly say that I don't use location of self with all my clients. I think there are times when I don't use it at all, and there are times when I use it, you know, from the very onset. Um, I think it depends on, on what the, who the client is and, and what they're coming to you with. But um, I can tell you that this is a wonderful tool to work when you're working with young people and families who are disadvantaged. Uh, with my young people, you know, locating myself lets them know that I am a human being, I'm a person, um, that I am not this person that is a therapist high up above, looking down upon them and judging them, mm -hmm. but I'm a person that, that um, they can identify with, right? Um, and when you locate yourself with young people and you, and you allow them to look, they don't all do it. They don't all locate themselves right away. They do eventually. But, but when they begin to locate themselves, you begin to find out that there are young people that are dealing with a lot of issues. There are young people that are very insecure about some things. Um, there are young people who want to be heard, right? Young people who are seeing themselves as less than quite often. Um, you know, and then, and then you may find, you know, that there are some young people who have some deep aspirations, right? And they really identify themselves as, as young people who want to do more, who want to aspire to more, right? And that's great insight for the therapist, you know, about who that young person is. With families, what I find quite often is when you look at yourself, you really find out about those people in the family or those, those fo folks in the family who maybe identifying themselves as less than, maybe identifying themselves as, as a person who is, is a person who should stay in the background, a person who's, who hasn't been heard a lot, mm. a person who is seen as, as the person who um, should remain quiet, you know, like for instance, in a family where you have to actually pull out, you know, from and really identify, I need to hear from you, I need to hear from you, you know, because they haven't spoken all session. You find out that that person is the person that, you know, most people ignore. Most people don't, you know, really want to hear from, you know. Um, so when you look at yourself in a family, it really gives every individual in that room a chance to really speak about who they are and who they believe they're seen as, as they, with their, by their family, right? Um, do the family value that person? Who do, do, Does that person value themselves as it relates to the family? You know, and there is where that work begins, you know, to, to figure out, you know, why are certain people in the family, you know, ignored or, or left to the side or or who, what the power dynamic in that family is. And that's what the tool, I think the tool does for me when I work with families, looking at that power dynamic, looking at, at how people are viewed by the family and how they view themselves within the context of the family. And that's a great point because it gives everyone a voice. And, you know, to that person, when we're thinking about the families that we're helping, that individual who was always told to mm -hmm. you can be seen but not be heard yeah, yeah. or That's you old know oh caribbean way um or anything like that where they just don't feel like they have a place in that family system mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so it gives them a voice and it it changes the trajectory of the conversation mm -hmm. because I'm just imagining having some of those aha moments, mm -hmm. you know, and, and we hope that everyone gets that opportunity to listen in and say, okay, 
you know, I didn't realize that about you. And what's great about this model is that it challenges our biases at times. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Jen, have you used this model, okay, yourself in your work? Um, I haven't, right? I think I mentioned it briefly, <laughs> right? When, it's like I don't want to have anything to do with when, talking about um, when Kellyanne wanted to put the pressure on me. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had I had said that I haven't used it and but I didn't explain why. I think that I've been taught to well, I've been trained to not disclose too much information about yourself. So it's almost it's almost like that's something I've always kept, you know, I've always kept with me. Um but now just having more experience and just, you know, going through certain things, I I see the importance of it. You know, I haven't done it yet. The most I would say is, um, you know, I'm a marriage and family therapist. I've been doing this work for a few years now and then that's it. Right. But I wouldn't self-locate. And it's interesting because some um, some clients would ask me, like, where are you from? Mm -hmm. You know, like they're just so curious to know. Um, so I do see the importance of it. And I'll definitely keep that in mind with um, certain clients. I don't think that we have to do it with every client but i think it's necessary to do with certain clients mm -hmm. so it sounds like you and eon feel like you can use location of self when you as a therapist feel that it would be relevant or helpful for the therapy process is that right right yes 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 okay i would encourage all therapists to incorporate um self-locating um, social location at some point um, at some point um, in their practice I think it's beneficial um, for me again I think you know when you work with young folks and you're trying to get them to really identify who they are and, and, and have some voice I think it, it's a wonderful tool mm -hmm. yeah for me I, I I like to stick it out you know once I learned about it I continue to um, locate myself on the onset, like within the first couple of sessions or so, um, just so I don't get those questions of, so where are you from? You know, I, it's it's kind of like I like to address it head on. And you, you two know I don't like the elephant in the room because you so can you feel do, that. You do it for every client? I would, yeah. Okay. As part of just the process. And like, you know, we mentioned therapeutic alliance from the onset and just being able to challenge any bias that's in the room or um, also being me and letting you know this is who you have as a therapist and it's okay that we might have different um, multiple identities i can still see you through this therapy process yeah and just to be clear on that right because i don't want our listeners to think that there's one way to do it or another mm -hmm. way to do it right mm -hmm. so it's fine, right, to do it with every client, and it's fine to do it with not every client, right? Mm -hmm. Um, but the idea is to do it at some point, mm -hmm. right? Okay. So I think that pretty much covers what we wanted to talk about with race and location of self. And intersectionality as well. And intersectionality, yep. So with all that we talked about today, I wanted to just incorporate... Um, one last factor, and that's how do we reduce discomfort in the therapeutic room 
when we talk about race. I think some of the things that we came up with was asking relevant questions, right? That's always a good thing. Staying neutral and unbiased. And also highlighting that there is a cultural difference, if in fact that is the case. I think asking these questions will allow um, racial discussions to just happen organically. Before we end today's podcast, I want to share with our listeners a quote that I came across recently. I really enjoyed reading it and also thinking about the message behind it. The quote is by Martin Luther King Jr. and it states, The ultimate measure of a person is not where one stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where one stands in times of challenge and controversy. Today's topic immediately brought me back to this quote, and it reminded me of the importance of having these uncomfortable conversations with our clients. Many times we do things for comfort and convenience, but when are we really going to have these conversations that are challenging and controversial? I hope our listeners take joy in listening not only to the podcast, but also thinking about this quote and how it relates to us as individuals. Thank you for listening. I really hope you guys enjoyed our podcast today, and I hope it sheds some light on things that you guys may have been confused about or may have had questions about as well. We want to give special thanks to Dr. Kenneth Hardy who's the president of the Eichenberg Academy for Social Justice and the director of the Eichenberg Institute for Relationships located in New York City. He's also a professor of family therapy at Drexel University in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. One of the things Dr. Hardy said at his uh, workshop is that many therapists go weeks, maybe even months, without discussing how culture and race plays a part in a client's problems. And that is one of the things that, that we discussed and we discovered at, at the workshop with Dr. Kenneth Hart. So special thanks to him for a wonderful discussion at that workshop. We would also like to give thanks to Dr. Christiana Awasan, Program Director of Social Work and Marriage and Family Therapy at Iona University. Her research focuses on diversity, inclusion, and social justice, in addition to culturally responsive clinical practices. Thank you for listening to the Trey MFT podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please follow us on social media, like, share, and subscribe. Tune in for our next episode. Until then, be well, MFT fans.